Natalia, hello. I thought I might start sending you some audio love letters, as the email ones are probably not being read at this point. Besides, as you know, I love the medium of voice and the ability to put thoughts and musings straight onto Spotify for you to listen to alongside your other audio content. Saying that, in the last seven months or so, my own making of these things has felt more and more unnecessary, I guess, to me. My instinct, you might say, is to be in communion with another person, a real person, uh, my partner, someone I care about, someone who cares about me. And I think the Tarot Cure podcast was only really fun when I was sharing all of that stuff with you. Now that I have no access to this union and communion of ours, I don't really feel anymore the need to communicate much of myself to strangers. It doesn't really make sense to me anymore. And yet, I do want to speak. And I want to speak primarily to you. So that's what I'm going to do here. And, I don't know, talk about the stuff I'd like to tell you, the the usual things we'd normally share, what what it is we're reading or listening to, clients, recipes, we're playing around with people in our lives, how they're getting on, that sort of thing. I imagine you must by now have a full set of teeth, and that must feel incredible, not having to take that brace in and out of your mouth anymore, being able to just lean over a pot and taste whatever Adam's cooking up for dinner for the two of you, without having to go through all of that folderol of the mouth brace and, you know, all the procedures you would need to follow every time you felt the desire to pop something into your mouth. I'm sure you must be enjoying the freedom of a mouth unencumbered by plastic and wires again. Are you still going to put the training on hold for a year while you build up your placement hours? How's that going, Natalia? How are things? How are things in general? How's Nicole? Um, All of that stuff, you know? These are the things and, and so many more that I I yearn to know about your life. I I really still do. And I am jealous, as you probably realize, of all the Eunice that Adam has access to. I imagine he, he must live close, so the two of you perhaps get to see each other a bit more than we did. That must be nice. Ironically, I now have a couple of evenings a week free to go dancing or to a gallery or whatever. I would have liked to have done some of those things with you, but that was us, that was COVID, Um, you know. Especially the dancing, I think. We never got to try your favorite partner dance together, and I wanted to take you to experience some salsa. I often imagine us dancing together. When I wake up in the mornings, especially on the weekends, I imagine myself dancing with you and Max on the grey shagpile rug you convinced me to get for my room in which I still love, even though I don't get to see you doing yoga or, or dancing with Max on it. And this was one of my favourite things to witness on the weekend mornings that we spent together. I guess it's all part of that yearning for you which continues unabated, but there you go. It's been an interesting month here. I started talking to this woman on Hinge who was kind of on holiday in Turkey, but mainly escaping her codependent, enmeshed family obligations and supposedly writing a self-help book on the Enneagram. 
this is the person who introduced me to all this stuff whilst I was embarking on that new podcast, which ran out of steam after about three episodes. I think um, Bezos and the SOS message in a bottle Voyager space probe theme was always just a, a metaphor for me wanting to reconnect somehow with you and not knowing how or knowing how, but you not responding to any of the messages. So, so that was that. Or, I don't know, maybe, maybe I was just trying to indirectly express to you as a sort of exercise in creative peacockery some of the attractive aspects of myself in the hope that you might somehow listen to the slick production values, the carefully crafted audio collage of voice and music and, and go, oh, I really should still be engaged to Steve rather than Adam. What deft bit of audio wizardry that was. Let me give him a call. You know, that sort of thing. Those are the fantasies. But, um, but of course, this is delusion, as we know. Delusion at its finest. Anyway, um, I'm chatting on the phone to this woman called Rez, and we're having some nice, nice-ish chats, I guess. Uh, but at the same time, it feels as if uh, we're doing this sort of talk show and she's Graham Norton and I don't know who I am but anyway she's asking me all of these questions and doesn't really want to talk about herself in any meaningful way and hmm, I find that a little bit anxiety provoking uh, you know I, I do love to talk I love to navel gaze I love to mansplain but I also really enjoy listening to someone sharing their life with me and taking me into their world I miss that aspect of our connection. I, I really, really do. I used to love our conversations. There was also a space inside those conversations for silence, which I value so much, and I know you do too. I love the fact that we didn't have to be jabbering at each other all the time just in order to feel okay in the company of another person. I miss that. I miss you. But you know all of this by now. And I still imagine us having these conversations, you know. Um, and maybe this is a way of keeping my side of the conversation going, even though I know that your side is now predominantly um, synchronized with Adam. So... I don't know. What did, what did the two of you talk about? I mean, is it similar stuff to what we talked about? Different things? Um, my connection to Rez didn't really last beyond a, a few weeks. There's a lot of flaky people on Hinge. A lot of flaky people. Uh, and I might be one of them. <laughs> um, I, I imagine that's where you met Adam, right? I mean, I guess, I guess you, you met him on Hinge. That's where we met. Um, and I know that you've got something of the magic touch on Hinge. I know you do. Um, so I guess that's where you met. It was through Rez that I found out that good old Jesus was an Enneagram 9, which is also your archetype, but with a different dominant instinct, I believe. I think Jesus was a social 9, 
uh, social being the instinct that motivates us to create relationships, to care for the well-being of others. It facilitates our interest and curiosity in people beyond what they can simply do for us or, or give us. Um, it also helps us not to lose sight of the humanity of those people when we are in conflict with them. I'm reading at the moment this incredible translation of the Gospels by David Bentley Hart, and it's so clear to me that this was the life force which thrums through the Christ figure. I mean, if you if you just go and Google um, social nine chestnut, you'll find Beatrice Chestnut's description of the subtype, as well as this incredible, I guess, well, this is how I read it, this incredible psychological portrait of Christ, both of his weaknesses as son of man, son of God, but also his incredible type nine strengths, this ability to embody holy love as as you embody it. You, you embody this kind of love, Natalia. And, and I miss this. I miss the holy love in you, of you, from you. I'm only uh, part way into Matthew, but it's incredible how uh, Jesus is always surrounded by people and, and he clearly loves it this way, you know, in a way that maybe us two introverts can only manage in small, small quantities. I think the social instinct in your instinct stacking falls into second place, however, I think so. Um, your first and dominant instinct is what is known as the self-preservation instinct. Um, and there's this guy who writes stuff about the Enneagram, Russ Hudson. He breaks the self-praise instinct down into three domains. And these are number one, self-care and well-being. Number two, maintenance and resources. And number three, domesticity and the home. And... From what I understand, the self-preservation instinct revolves around the physical and emotional well-being of, quote, me and my world. So this instinct has us paying attention to all things, earthly, practical, sensual, health, money, home, family, lifestyle. And this is also, I guess, where a lot of our planning for our, for our life ahead together would fall, right, um, in, into that self-preservation domain. Um, but with the two of us um, preserved there together. Um, sustainability is a big thing with self-prayers, as is the material and emotional quality of life and how to optimize it. So if self-preservation is our dominant instinct, and I think maybe it is yours, we might also quite often be monitoring consciously or unconsciously and engaging our kind of immediate physical state and our surroundings maybe even paying too much attention to our physicality at times, which I guess might point to the kind of fibre-type paradigm that we've sometimes discussed. It is essentially a drive that motivates uh, us to test and express our physical capacities, our aggression. wish you would have tested that more with me, um, allowed yourself to be more confrontational or aggressive with me rather than feeling put upon. Um, and it also directs us to find the best ways for ourselves to rest and relax. And I think self-prayers is my second dominant instinct, although it sometimes slips into third, as you know, um, particularly when my dominant one is most alive. 
I find these distinctions between the three instincts a really great clarifier or accentuator of core personality. So Rez, for example, um, has the same personality type as me, you know, good old drama queen four, but as her dominant instinct is self-praise, this very much tempers the expressive nature of the four and in that way, you know, makes her an almost entirely different beast to the one talking to you here. My dominant instinct, which I guess is borne out by this need to keep on talking to you, is the transmitting instinct, as Mario Sakura calls it. It is also known as the sexual instinct, as it has this um, diversificatory sexual selection drive behind it. It is also an instinct that leads to focusing on exploration, um, focusing on edge, either through another person or in the realm of art and creativity. Uh, it's very much about, from what I can understand, merging, fusion, flow, especially where boundaries of the self might dissolve into something or someone else. Uh, it's an instinct, as perhaps we discovered, that can at times, if not monitored and well understood, be in conflict with the self-preservation instinct. Because, you know, self-prayers would say, let's go mild vegan cheddar on this topic or upset and my uh you know um and my instinct would go no let's go extra mature let's have double helpings of delicious gnarly cheddar and maybe even triple helpings of cheese on the pizza shall we um and that's not always great that's not always great uh, I like to think of this instinct as the adoration instinct, but also maybe the excess instinct, the too much instinct. But I like the non-judgy term, adoration instinct, because I think it's also the best one I've found so far to describe the life force that rules me, for better or for worse. I live to be in adoration of someone or something. I live to adore. I live to love in some intense and um, and sometimes over-intense kind of way. Let me give you a recent example. So last night, Max and I went to Stanmore to, you know, walk and revisit some of the places we would sometimes hang out, the lake, uh, that, you know, that particular bench with a nice vista we would sometimes sit on. And walking up the hill from the station, I spotted this incredible rose. It had this almost yoky, yellowy suffusion spreading out from the enfolded interiority of it. But it also had this beautiful blush of pink just rippling through every white petal. And I felt just immediately like I had to sink my face very, very deeply into the scent, into the soft caress of that rose. Something about its delicate perfume, those velvety soft petals just took me back for a moment, back to the the kinesthetics of kissing your cheek and your forehead and nuzzling into the folds of your neck and shoulder. Moment after moment of these exquisite recollections, but, but not, not even visual recollections, actually feeling those sensations in the body. And, and just drinking, drinking it all in very, very deeply. Um... And in that moment, I guess I sort of merged with the rose. There was no boundary between its life force and my own. That, I think, is what the adoration 
instinctual drive is about. And, you know, when you're merged with the rose, not only do you feel most alive and present, but you also feel, at least I do, most suffused with the essence of holy love, with, with your love. For at that moment, I was with you again. We were together. We were together at that moment. Max and I have been spending quite a bit of time in Stanmore. Um, I'm not growing anything out there this year, but I have fallen in love, I guess that's, that's the term, with, um, <laughs> with the ukulele. Um, I bought one on a whim, and I, I just adore playing this cute little thing. Um, I mean, I, I literally cannot keep my hands off it at the moment. I, I'm, I, I walk into a room and I see it there and I'm like, okay, I have to, I have to play you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I don't know, it's something about it. It's just every time I see it, every time I hear it, it just makes me smile. Um, and that's a nice feeling. Uh, it's also super portable. It has, and, it, and it has this beautiful ringing tone to it. I think it's the sound of your soul that I hear in that ukulele. And so I just walk around, you know, the fields and forests of Stanmore playing my uke and singing whatever song I'm uh, learning uh, at the moment. And um, the first riff I I ever learnt on the uke um, sort of reminded me of this Bobby Darin song that I vaguely knew. and it somehow just feels entirely apt for these letters, so I'm, I'm going to play it, play it for you now. human Natalia is is not going to listen to these things but I have a hope inside me a hope that never dies that somehow in some way these words will reach the ears of that real person who is also called Natalia and that we will still get to have some kind of 
I don't know, a temporal communion with each other again. I, I would so love that. I would so, so love that. And this is the spirit in which I have decided to write these letters to you. That's really what I think these letters are about. Um, I think I'm writing them as if I believed you were still listening in some way to my voice. But I am also a realist. I'm a pragmatist. Uh, I'm a depressive realist, as you know, a pragmatist. And amidst my idealistic adoration, I understand that if you are betrothed to another, then you probably won't be listening to me. <laughs> if anything, you'll be listening to Adam's podcast. I mean, I don't know if Adam has a podcast, but he, he looks like the kind of guy who might. So maybe I'm also speaking here in some way to, to the essence of you, which I have sort of framed in my mind now as Davy Natalia, Natalia in homage to this special kind of Enneagram archetypal nine holy love figure, somewhat in the ballpark of Jesus, you might even say, and Devi, because this is the Hindu word for goddess, but it also has this lovely etymological through line from the Proto-Indo-European root word, which is dev, and it means shining one, from div to shine, and, and then that kind of meets up with the Greek dios and the Gothic divine and the Latin deus, which finally brings us, of course, to God. And I think it's the fact that Davy connects to sunshine um, is the connection I want for the love I still hold for you, uh, especially on weekends like this one when I, when I think of you and I think about you a lot on the weekends. Um, I often remember us waking up together and that wonderful feeling of being in the close, intimate company of another human being after spending, I don't know, some time, six days, whatever it was, pretty much by ourselves, as we both were doing, working from home, you know, working on screens. And just that feeling of gratitude that another human creature should want to spend this day, a Saturday uh, or a Sunday, with you <laughs> together, making something of this precious shared time together. That was such an incredible indoors and outdoors sunshine for me and for Max. I think we both basked in your sunshine, Natalia. We both oh, filled ourselves up with vitamin D um, from the sunshine of your soul. And even now, when I use a sun emoji, I often think of your face with its sort of beautiful, slight, slight roundness to it and, and the memory of just waking up, just waking up. The gift of waking up to find your sunny face opening her eyes next to mine. This is where the, the holy love just, just blasts off into space. This is, this is where I feel it, the love, the love. So... Yeah, so Davy has the right ring to it. It's got the right sound for me. It's also, you know, also um, the last poem I learned, the hundredth poem in my poetry liturgy. Uh, I don't know if you remember it. I think I, I think I recited it once to you. Is a poem about the sun. Um, maybe I'll end this first letter to you with that poem. It's called The Sound of the Sun by George Bradley, and it goes like this. The sound of the sun, it makes one all right. 
though you hadn't thought of it. A sound like the sound of the sky on fire. Like Armageddon, whistling and crackling. The explosions of sunlight booming as the huge mass of gas rages into the emptiness around it. It isn't a sound you are often aware of, though the light speeds to us in seconds, each dawn leaping easily across a chasm of space that swallows the sound of that sphere. But if you listen closely some morning, when the sun swells over the horizon, and the world is still and still asleep, you might hear it, a faint noise so far inside your mind that it must come from somewhere, from light rushing to darkness, energy burning towards entropy, towards a peaceful solution, burning brilliantly spontaneously, in the middle of nowhere. And you too must make a sound that is somewhat like it. Though that, of course, you have no way of hearing at all. Talk to me, walk to me, talk to me.